Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Back by popular demand, my brother Elliot is here. I get so much great feedback and I want to thank you guys so much for letting me know which episodes really resonate and which guests you want to hear more from. And Elliot has been a fan favorite from the beginning. He's also a personal favorite on my end. But I actually was just at dinner the other day and one of my friends said, she's a loyal fan. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate it. She said, I love the episodes with your brother. So I said, well, you're in luck because he's coming back on next week. Elliot, one of the things we've been talking about off air that is something that my community discusses quite a bit and I get a lot of questions about it and it's something that I know is something that really rests heavy on their heart because they're not sure what to do with it. And I think we want to take some time today to really unpack all the many levels of anxious attachment. And we can go back to John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth if we want and do a little psych research and psych theory kind of lecture style because we're both professors. But we can also bring it into the real world application and what it means for women on the dating scene who think that this may be something they're struggling with. And my community knows that I'm not a big fan of labeling everything because I worry that once we have a label for something, we might actually inadvertently live up to that label and maybe box ourselves in based on that diagnosis in air quotes. So that's just setting the stage. Elliot, what do you think about anxious attachment, especially when it comes to dating and relationships? First, Karen, thank you for having me on the show again. And thank you to your fans for considering me a favorite. I do feel part of the Love and Life family. Absolutely. Not just by name, but by connection and intimacy. And I've had a great time, even with your ladies who have ended up hiring me for a little counsel and consultation. That's been a really rewarding and blessed process. So thank you for having me back on the air. And I I think anxious attachment is a real thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's often misunderstood. I think we often label it and use it inappropriately. And as you're talking about kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of labeling something or, or the relationship itself or labeling ourselves personally as being anxiously attached even if it has some validation and truth and history and experience, I think we just got to be super careful with that label. In specific, I, I, I made this comment maybe in the Passive Men podcast or the Mother Wound, I'm not sure which one, about often we will have somebody label it an anxious attachment or have an anxious attachment to a relationship when they've only been dating for two, three months, and I made a comment that it's not possible. Right. Uh, so we're going to unpack that a little bit mm-hmm. in the same time. So he- here's one of my reasonings for that commentary about anxious attachment. I-, I think in a true attachment bond in a Bowlby-like level of attachment takes years. And, and primarily the attachment theorists, we're talking about childhood yep. and-, and the bond to parents and how significant that is for the first two, three years of life. Well, if we transfer that over to relationship, the first two or three years of a relationship With someone you haven't known, maybe you grew up with them, but more often than not, we don't know the person. It takes a long time to establish a true attachment. And in a spiritual context, if I may put my pastoral hat on for a minute, (laughs) I think one of the main reasons we become anxiously attached prematurely in a relationship that has not had years, multiple years of existence, is actually the sexual bond that is created prematurely or incidentally, initially, where the other aspect of the relationship, the emotional, the mental, the experience, the family connection, the relationships, all comes after the fact. So what I see a lot, of course, I work with a ton of college students, so it's a little bit of a different variable than your overall audience, but I do a lot of premarital work and early marital work, and I'm working with several relationships right now that are an absolute mess. And one of the ways we diagnose or dissect or investigate is look about where did that established attachment or the anxiousness of that attachment take place. And one of the ways or one of the foundational truths of that anxious attachment is creating a sexual bond super early in the relationship, maybe even as the primary first bond, 
And that leads to all kinds of issues. Yeah, and I think that's something that women of our generation and certainly the younger generations, I think they have, as the women's movement kind of released some of these norms and expectations for women, and women said, oh, I'm going to be free to have sex like a man, and then they might lead with sex, hoping to get love, and instead they lead with sex and get anxiously attached. Yes, and you know, it's always my role on your show to be tougher on the men and you be tougher on the women. So I'm going to go to the man side <laughs> okay. again. Okay, <laughs> that works. And just say, as men, we do tend to get focused on the sexual expression, often as, a, as you mentioned, a conditional connection to love that we don't know necessarily how to express or feel or receive. But in that pursuit of that physical demeanor, we shoot ourselves in the foot as well. It takes men longer to emotionally bond, longer to mentally bond. Uh, the corpus callosum is damaged for us men. It's not for you and as women, and you guys can connect very quickly. And so therefore, I think sometimes because a woman feels that emotional bond fast, she allows herself to be available physically mm, mm-hmm. too soon because the man's not ready for that. He wants it. Right. He's not ready for it. So there's a whole dynamic about, and especially in the hookup culture, which I understand because my college students... I don't like it, but I understand it better, and I appreciate their honesty to share with me what it's like. But in that hookup culture, we've completely reversed the intimacy creative build-up process. Mm-hmm. So rather than building the talking bond or just conversational right. bond, leading to some emotional bonding, some mental bonding, then some experiential dating bonding. My daughters told me the other day, people don't really date anymore. It's pretty much like hookup or group hangout. There, there's like an absence of the courting. There's an absence mm. of getting to know each other in a deeper way to build up the momentum and the intimacy in order to have a physical, spiritual relationship. And so I think that anxiousness is often a result of reversing the appropriate intellectual, emotional, mental, spiritual, soul intimacy process. So if I'm understanding you correctly, someone might be, a woman might be approaching her dating relationships and... It can even be the first couple dates. I mean, maybe even after one date. Oh, my anxious attachment caused me to check my phone every three seconds to see if he texted me and he hasn't texted me. It, you know, had the first date last night and he hasn't texted me all day today. But that's my anxious attachment and it's making me freak out. And I'm not even saying they had sex on the first date, but she's attributing this anxiety, as she would call it, about being concerned whether or not he had a good time and he was going to follow up with a text and try to see her again with anxious attachment, which then again, the traditional sense, the traditional understanding is that she had some mother infant or father infant kind of something was amiss, which caused her to be anxiously attached now on the dating scene. And you're saying this could be actually not a relic of childhood necessarily, but could be a relic of past dating experiences where she maybe formed the sexual bond before the intimate bond. And that has put things out of step. Yes. And as you and I talked about one of the times we were having some broccoli and chicken, I think, at your house, we talked about, <laughs> I'm hungry. That's why I brought that up. Sorry. <laughs> we talked about the context of anxious attachment early in relationship can be actually healthy. We shouldn't be so ridiculously connected to someone after one date or one hookup that we feel like, wow, this is it. You know, this is wonderful and there's no issues or no fear. So sometimes a little anxiety about whether or not this is going to go to the next level is actually healthy. But it's that whole dance of then automatically internalizing it for a woman in particular and saying, well, what did I do wrong or what did I do right? How can I change it? How can I manipulate it, control it, organize it, systemically create something that allows this man to move forward or show me that he is interested and cares? So that reminds me of something. I was recently asked to weigh in on an article in Well and Good magazine about mixed messages. And the knee-jerk reaction is, girl, if he's giving you mixed messages, forget it. He's a jerk. And I was taking a different position saying, well, aren't mixed messages normal early on? You know how fabulous you are. He doesn't know that yet. So it kind of reminds me of what you're saying here. Anxious attachment, and that's probably not the right word, really what we're talking about, what someone might interpret as their own anxious attachment is just nervousness, butterflies, anxiety about, hey, is this going to go anywhere? I'm catching feels and I'm hoping it goes somewhere, but I don't know. But again, that's normal for the the first the intimacy process is chaotic 
Right. And it's, and it's uncertain. It's and the, not simple. And that's part of why we get butterflies. It's the part that we hate because it's like, I just want to know what's going to happen with this relationship. But it's also the part that gets us excited. And there's this kind of, are we going to make this happen? Are we going to be a couple? Or are we not? And so I think sometimes all of those feelings get labeled anxious attachment, which I think can be debilitating for a woman to step under that umbrella. That's me all day long. And to then interpret every emotion that she has, which I think many of those emotions are perfectly reasonable. Because again, like I said, with mixed messages, someone doesn't know you yet. They might some days get excited about you and the next day go, well, I don't know. I haven't figured out if this was going to be a fit for me regarding this part of her personality. That's just normal. We do the same. I mean, people who have, all of us have received mixed messages and I'm sure all of us have given mixed messages. So again, that those first couple dates, first couple months of a relationship, I appreciate you trying to explain how what all could be going on and to be be cautious and and even a bit reticent to make these global generalizations about your anxious attachment style that's globally the case all the time in every scenario and anxious attachment is almost always based on our perception not on truth yes so so many times especially when we're relying on text and social media as our primary validation of attachment those are you know considered in research some of the worst forms right of validated communication in interpersonal relationships so if we're relying on that or we're getting stuck in that reading into and again for most men for your female audience for most men they're often not even sure how they feel about a woman for four five six months mm -hmm. i teach in my marital instruction that it takes seven to ten years now to truly bond with your spouse in a oneness way. So congratulations, you and Dan. I think you're right there in the- in Yeah, that we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Yes. <laughs> so it just takes a long time. But when we're somehow in the dating context, we put more pressure. We want a marital bond in three months. Yes. And yes. you can't create a marital bond in three months, even if you got married at the courthouse in one month. Right. You're still not going to create oneness. Oneness takes a depth of time in relationship. I think that's so well put. And we certainly see that. And I've experienced that with folks who've been married and then they're divorced and they're back in the dating scene. And they're expecting from this new relationship, even if it's going very well and it's very secure and stable, they're expecting to have that level of intimacy with someone they met a couple months ago to the degree of what they had with someone they spent many years with. And I understand that. And so that's one of the things we try to talk about is, okay, let's just be more realistic about the expectations of what could happen at this point in the relationship, not that you can't have that intensity and let's hope that you have a better relationship because obviously the one you had before didn't work, but let's also be realistic. And I think that can be true too with a lot of the women and that was my life too with serial monogamy, right? So many in adulthood, many very deep, intimate relationships that are heart level connections many of whom you thought might go the distance. And you, in my case, you know, I almost married someone. So I thought I was going to have that level of connection. And then to not, then you have to adjust and go, okay, now I'm back to the beginning. And again, this person, I know what I have to offer, but I have to allow this person to get to know me incrementally. And I also, and this is something that Dan and I have talked about on the podcast, and I get a little pushback about this. I always encourage more pacing emotional, physical, all, I always, I always encourage that it's better to take things slowly than to rush things. I'm not saying if you meet the right person, I think it's going to work out, but I don't think there's ever a downside to taking your time. Yes. And, and I think in context of what you're saying, I, I'd like to reframe it. Let's do some CBT here and really encourage your listeners to consider anxious attachment as positive. Love it. Let's consider even in the marital dynamic, there's going to be some anxious attachment, especially if you have some history of trauma in relationship, father or mother wounds, abuse wounds. You're not automatically going to get rid of that simply because you're married or simply because you found the one. And some of that anxiety can be very positive if intrinsically seen as positive, intentionally worked on in connection, stability, conversation. And so for your single listeners who are wondering, could this person be the one and do I have anxious attachment issues if I don't feel assured, I don't feel 100% validation, I can't quite read him in a text or in a conversation that I always want. I say, I've been married 32, 32 years, I have the same problem, <laughs> right? And I know my wife really, really well, but there's still times I'm like, I don't get what she's saying. I'm not sure yeah. what she's, it doesn't necessarily go away. 
How do we frame it? How do we understand it? How do we build the right intimacies, the right structures, the right pacing? And, and so I want to also not condemn your listeners if they've gotten to a habit of sexual bond first and then trying to figure out the intimacy later. So if that's happened, I'm not saying throw the relationship out. Just recognize it's kind of reversed and not that you have to turn off the physicality. That's very hard to do and keep a relationship growing. But you need to be intentional about growing the other aspects of the intimacy. In my interpersonal relationships class, I teach about 12 different forms of intimacy, all of them equally as strong and necessary as sex. Recreational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, crisis intimacy, family intimacy. There's tons of different intimacy forms that are just as important to build the holistic nature. And actually those build better attachment than simply the sexual one. So much there that I want to delve into in more depth. So I just want to underscore what you're saying that we can, even if we've decided, okay, Karen, whatever, with your Pollyanna, don't think you have anxious attachment, let's normalize this, whatever, Karen, I think I'm anxiously attached, too late for me, you're saying, okay, be that as it may, we can make this a positive, we can reframe this to be a healthy aspect of my relationship, and believe that to be true, such that even when I feel it in a very solid relationship, I don't have to fear it or think it's the end of the world or that the securely attached person that I'm interested in could never love me because of my anxious attachment. So speak a little bit more to that. Yeah. And I think it's super important to acknowledge it, acknowledge it, confess it, activate, engage in it. That's what I teach ACE, the acronym ACE, acknowledge it, confess it, and then engage in it. So if you have a stable relationship and you're feeling some anxiousness and you trust your partner, some conversation about that attachment and maybe not using psychological language, maybe using something else, but I'm struggling with this or I'm not sure about this commitment and being very intentional to walk through where's the core of this? Where's the core issue that is causing you some of the anxiousness? It could be for very good reasons. He's uh, got his, his work schedule super busy and you're only getting an hour a day now of conversation or connection, maybe a half hour instead of four or five hours. Well, in any relationship we have, once there's a difference in time and experience, we're going to feel some anxiousness. But if we hold that all in and then just base it on self-condemnation or see this what happened last time, my boyfriend started to not spend time with me and then he started talking about other girls or whatever, you know, and then we all of a sudden build this this prophetic Mm self-talk that turns into a severe anxious attachment. And on the masculine side, because as men, they're not normally as emotionally connected If they receive, and this is going to sound metaphysical here, but if they receive this anxious energy from their female partner, they will start to question Mm. and feel insecure and maybe stop being assertive in their masculine energy and their masculine spirit and their pursuit. And we get this dynamic where the anxious woman starts pursuing Mm -hmm. the insecure man, and that's going to be trouble. (laughs) It's just going to lead, both of them are going to be out of their norm and what I think traditional masculine and feminine energy should be in a relationship and it starts to become askew and we get in a little dance and both become anxiously attached. So my thought is, and I probably err on one side of this and you probably err on another. So this will be interesting because we'll have two different perspectives or maybe we'll have more common ground. Let's try it out. So in my, my recommendation for a woman would be in the early days, let's say the first three, four months, if she's feeling any of that, to take that to her girlfriends, to take that to it's her a great therapist. Place to start, yes. I wouldn't want her to bring, like, I, we need to have a sit down talk about how I'm feeling because I'm thinking it's three months and I that's a lot to give someone who you're just getting to know. And like you spoke to a moment ago, it could really careen things off of a healthy dynamic to my mind. But then the tension there is, but I want to be honest. And I've been taught to be vulnerable in relationships. You know, Brene Brown says we need to be vulnerable. So where is that line between what is mine to own and process, especially in the early days? And now I'm, again, I'm thinking like the first four to six months, certainly before we're, he's asked us to be exclusive. I personally would not recommend bringing any of this to the table. I I agree with all your precepts. Yes. Okay. And I'm just saying, but also I know that you probably are a little bit more on the side of, but we also want to be honest in our communication process and set that foundation of honest, open communication. I think that gets dicey for women. They don't know how to navigate that. True. And that goes back to this masculine dynamic where I blame the men for being passive. Listen to our passive (laughs) man episode. Check that episode out. (laughs) But I agree with you in those early stages And because I trust women and their understanding of their heart, soul, mind connection better than most men, 
it is better for a woman to talk to her girlfriends. Healthy girlfriends. Yeah, not the ones who'd be like, forget him. Yeah, healthy right. relationships. Yeah. And for a man, I would encourage him to talk to girls, other women, not necessarily his buds, especially if his buds are all single and spend more time <laughs> at the bar than they do in relationships. So again, there might be great guys out there that can help each other. But in general, if a man has a sister or a mother or some female friends he trusts and say, hey, this is how I'm feeling it. Because you're right. I think the dynamic, if the woman comes too soon with some anxious thoughts or considerations or concerns, it could get the backpedaling effect. And I like to train the relationships for the man to take the lead on sitting down to have these discussions. And hopefully that he is starting to receive and respond messages that he's unsure of and could bring those to the table. And I think that's when a woman feels safe to express some of the cautiousness or fears in her heart rather than think, if I say this, this could derail everything. And then she gets caught not being honest and not being authentic back to what you were talking about with uh, Dr. Brown. Yeah. And it also makes me think of, again, yes, we are looking for an interdependence. But initially, again, I want us coming to this relationship. I am a fully formed adult. I like all of us, I have work to do and I'm working on myself. I want to present myself when I even talk about maybe past pain or trauma, as you start to disclose that kind of information as that builds that emotional intimacy. I, I want women to be warm and engaging, and accessible and be honest, but incrementally. Yes. So that you're not projecting here's this big wound I have, please fix me, right? Here's this big need I have. And some women will say, no, no, you have to, be, these are the needs I have. And if we're gonna be in a relationship, this is what I want. I don't personally think that that is an empowered stance to take as a woman. I think it opens yourself up to being manipulated because some people, not all guys, and, and thank God, not most guys, but some guys will look for that wounded bird with a broken wing and then it's game on because she has exposed her neediness so soon and now I'm going to swoop in as a predator and I will control this relationship. Yes. Especially if there's some pretty self-centered, arrogant, narcissistic tendencies in that man. He's, he can pick those ladies out of a crowd. Right. And, and then the control and all those other mechanisms. So again, I teach that the level of intentionality you're talking about with this authenticity of disclosure I teach that should really start after engagement, that level, heart, deep soul disclosure. Now, many people say, well, shouldn't that be there prior to engagement? Well, maybe, but most couples don't know how to get to that deeper layer effectively or healthily in a way that can really build attachment prior to engagement. And then if you're not have the committed piece of that relationship solidified, then you don't know if you can be safe. If I empty everything in my soul to this man or woman, and then we don't get married, then the wounding from that separation, especially if there's been the sexual bond, is the equivalent to a divorce. It's the same kind of bond, the marital sexual bond in the Hebrew and Genesis that explains that cleaving, that cement bond is separated. And whether you're two 16-year-olds or 36-year-olds, the same separation occurs. I got on a rabbit trail there, but you understand what I'm saying in that context of the movement of the attachment and that bond. Well, it makes me think about, yes, the physical bond that can be premature based on the other intimacy that's developing that's out of step with that. And also, I have some women in my community talk about a trauma bond. So as you're speaking to, two people who maybe because of past relationships haven't fully embraced the notion of pacing a bit, they could on date one or two, like blah, 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 and he's like blah, 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 and they are deep, deep into stuff that they've shared with very few people. And now the intimacy is based on you're so broken and wounded and so am I and we'll just cling together in our brokenness and woundedness. And that makes me concerned too, because is it a true healthy intimacy or have we then aligned in our pathology and, and hurt and pain? And yes, we want to feel safe with our hurt and pain, with our partner, but I'm wondering if that becomes the essence of the relationship, Absolutely. the attachments based on something that to my mind isn't healthy. What do you think about that as a yeah, therapist? I agree completely. The, the level of disclosure, maybe this is a whole nother episode sometime, the pacing of disclosure, yeah. level of disclosure. If you're telling a date on the second or third time together, stuff you've never told anybody else before, that might feel super encouraging intimate, but it's way too fast. Right. Now men will use this. Not necessarily in a manipulate fashion, but they feel drawn to the particular woman 
and they will all of a sudden release pieces of their soul. They probably really need to release for a long, long time. And when a men get that emotionally vulnerable, you guarantee the sex is coming right behind it because it's going to be a level of that connection they don't understand. And so very quickly, they're going to build that marital sexual bond and then try to figure out the emotions and mental. The woman's more connected when that happens to her, even if she felt fully engaged and connected, then that's going to create that automatic anxiousness that could be because of levels disclosure. And she might find herself backpedaling, but not sure how to respond to that. Right. I can see her thinking, oh my gosh, he told me things he's never told anyone else. And we just had this incredible, intimate, emotional connection so quickly. That must mean he's the one. And I'm going, oh, also my concern is for my nurturing, my, my, my motherly women, whether they're mothers or not, but they've got that beautiful maternal instinct and nurturing. Someone could again look to, oh, good. Now I've got my built-in therapist, my girlfriend and my therapist. I don't, I want that even relationship instead of that one down, which maybe feels safe for the woman at first. He needs me so desperately. He needs my emotional support. I'm almost like his therapist. That may feel secure at first, but again, it's an imbalance. And that imbalance will be felt and more concretely by a woman than a man. The man might like that imbalance in certain regards. If he doesn't have male emotional relationships, he can connect with or bond with. It might feel really safe to him, but I think it creates instability in a woman. Well, don't you think two things will happen? Eventually, she won't respect him as much because she knows that she's got the one-up position. And secondly, eventually, won't he be like, wait a minute, I'm feeling that I'm less than, that I'm in the inferior position in this relationship and maybe start to sabotage it because he doesn't, he liked the nurturing at first, but now he doesn't like feeling that she's the one with the power. Yeah, and that's why I think many relationships that are built out of trauma don't survive. Yeah, They're able to help each other through a really difficult time, but the inequality in the balance of the the initial foundation of the relationship is very difficult to catch back up and, and get back to symbiosis because you just, the whole thing was dynamic. I helped her get out of her family or I helped him get through his divorce. Any of those kind of contexts, it's just really tricky. I'm not saying don't ever date someone in that environment, but you just got to recognize in advance that's going to create attachment issues that'll be very delicate. You and I have talked about this before as well. In this day and age, with all the stuff we've been through in our country and our families and experiences, that's why I think pre-engagement counseling might be more important than premarital counseling. <laughs> yes. Yes. And are people open to it though? I know you have some, some. Yeah. It's starting uh, to become yeah. way more popular with our students here at Judson. I'm getting many requests for, Hey, we'd like five or six sessions to help us know, should we, or is it smart? Could we make a good marital relationship? And I'm very encouraged by that. But these young people are saying, Hey, we love each other. We think there's some good things here, but can we dance through with you a little bit about, we know where our weaknesses are. We know you'll help us see some others. And are these ones that could be difficult for us? Or is this just some anxiousness that's a part of the intimacy process? Let's work together and grow and build a stronger marriage. Right. And to start to deal with some of those family issues, which is another area of your expertise. Right up front. Because by the time there's a ring and a date, that train's going down the track. And I mean, been there, done that, right? And not even with the counseling, I think many people are... Their, their tunnel vision now, this is going to happen. Whether we realize we're not a good fit or not, they're not going to derail that train from the track, I think. So I love that pre-engagement. Let's start digging a little deeper. And now we know we're, we're very serious about each other, but we're also very aware that we want to be sure that we do have that, that we're equipped. And two great people don't necessarily make a great couple. Another aspect of this attachment issue is there, when there's anxious attachment because... The male is not treating you appropriately. Mm. And again, I tell the women, I'm glad you're anxious. Yes. If he's showing non-caring attitude, if he's showing manipulation, uh, insensitivity, not just like typical male insensitivity, I mean, significantly insensitive, mm -hmm. uh, condemning you, uh, commenting on your looks all the time and very neutral or passive negative comments. Uh, you know, hey, are you going to start working out soon? You know, think commentaries like that that are, are very... <laughs> no. Self-centered and based yeah. on that nice narcissist theory you and I have been talking about, mm -hmm. where they're not truly pathologically diagnosed as narcissists, but they have their own wounding and their own issues that they're so self-centered that the relationship is what she can do for me. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll provide for you a little bit. I'll give you some things. I'll give you that context relationship, but you're pretty much on this world for me. <laughs> and so if you have an anxious attachment, ladies, about a guy like that, thank you for having that anxious attachment. Listen to it. Talk to your girlfriends you trust. And I would say, leave him. <laughs> okay. 
fulfill the anxiousness and get away from this guy yeah. and don't assume he's going to become what you want. And let me give you a sad story in this regard. A couple I married a couple years ago, and it was very intense, difficult premarital work. And the man's background was very difficult, very abusive, very hostile. And he was trying very hard to become what she wanted him to become. But it was obvious, and I commented on this in the engagement counseling, there's a big gap here in emotional connectivity. There's a big gap in experience understanding. There's a big void in the intimacies outside of the sexual bond. Well, she left him. Mm. And so now we're working with him right now because she's not willing, and I don't blame her, because all that anxiousness and all that fear has resonated in a very difficult and borderline abusive relationship, and she had enough. That's just the contextual experiential understanding of the very issues where her anxiousness, even in the premarital, was founded Right. On appropriate things. And she was afraid to completely listen. And when she would challenge a little bit, and I would try to encourage her to challenge his looks, his body positioning, shut her down, not in an abusive way, but in that non-verbal control. And it blew up and, you know, I'm praying for recovery. I'll do what I can to reconcile, but it might not. And it might not, should, Yeah. might, should not. So it started with what she may have. And again, I don't know if she did, but what I love about this is again, is that anxiety you're feeling? Is that telling you something? And if you just go, well, that's my anxious attachment. Well, then we're not listening to what your feelings are always a signal. Now, sometimes we have to, you know, R-A-B-T or C-B-T or our thoughts so that our feelings get sorted out. But sometimes our feelings are telling us something very important and someone could dismiss the feeling. It's just my anxious attachment and then move forward in a relationship where that feeling, that anxiety was telling her something important. And what you're saying, and thank you for providing a real world example. I think it always helps to concretize. You're saying that he would give her these little looks. Her anxiety was telling her, there's something there that I may not feel fully safe with this man. But he wasn't so overt. And then once they got married and he had her, then the emotional abuse was more overt. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And they they were formed out of a rebound. So you throw that in there. Yes. Where she had been mistreated <laughs> yeah. and he came in to rescue. To save the day. Yeah. yeah. Quiet, stoic, reserved. And they're both great people. So I'm not saying they're, exactly. they're terrible people. It's just that connection that... Lack of appropriate intimacy buildup. And, and even with intensified six premarital sessions where I'm doing my best to help mm-hmm. them create and build, uh, things derailed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So for someone who's saying, so if I had a, a relationship that was painful and I'm on the rebound, I better not date. And well, I better get my stuff sorted out from my childhood. So I better not date. Like I'm going to be 55 before I can go on a date. Like, what do you say to that? Yeah, I'm just saying be cognizant of it recognize the the things that are involved and the rebound might be exactly what you need and the relationship might be perfect. So by no means am I prescribing this. I'm just saying the context of the start of the foundation and how you build that intimacy is so huge. And if you have come out of a serious relationship, when I say immediate rebound, I'm talking like weeks later, not like a year later. Yeah, yeah. And if you are interested in a divorce man and the divorce isn't even finalized yet, You got to hold back. (laughs) You cannot build that attachment. You're going to help heal his wounds and create a whole pattern of physiological, emotional, mental, spiritual attachment that's not healthy and is going to leave you really feeling pretty anxiously attached, maybe for the entirety of your marriage. Well, and he'll have gotten what he needed, which was a soft place to land Mm -hmm. after the relationship, his marriage severing, and you'll come in Florence Nightingale style and soothe and balm and 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 it might work out great it might Mm -hmm. or (laughs) you might be his rebound and then you've thought you got yourself your your person and it's not going to go the distance and again if it comes together and it seems really good i'm saying go get some intentional help to walk through these dynamics and and whether that's counseling a pastor good friends something where you can just bounce stuff off people process together analyze a little bit together uh, the world's complicated, so we need to use <laughs> yeah. our relationships and build with together to to get through that. For sure. 
If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. Another aspect I want to bring up, Karen, is about a myth that we can find stable security in a non-committed relationship. Oh, yeah. So yeah. if we are looking for a security, the type of security that makes us feel whole as an individual in a relationship that's not committed, meaning not to the point of we're exclusive or we're engaged or we're going to get married, something besides just verbal conversation, like actually plans and dates and rings, et cetera, I think it's almost impossible. It's very difficult to find fulfillment of security, which is meant to be based in ourselves and then in our spiritual context in the Lord through another person. So I think that lack of security we feel sometimes individually gets projected onto the relationship and maybe onto our partner or our date who's a wonderful person, and we keep wanting something from them that they can't provide and aren't meant to provide, and that insecurity becomes a piece of the attachment, anxiousness. So again, what I'd like to reframe is say, treat that insecurity as a part of the growth process, not part of your damaged goods, recognize your longing for the depth of intimacy and connection, whether it's a marriage or just a real stable, committed relationship. And you might not be able to get that until you're in that. And even when you have that, it's going to take years to develop that kind of security. I think that's so helpful because it really causes us to own our experience instead of going, well, when I find my person and meet them, I'll just know, it'll be love at first sight and I'll just know and I'll, this void I have will feel complete. All of that kind of mythology essentially really causes us to look outward again to the yes. other person. And of course, one of the things I'm always encouraging my community is your emotional well-being, that's your job. Your emotional health, your psychological well-being, that's your job. That's you and God. And that's a strength we bring to our marriage. Our, the fullness of our independence. You know, I wake, I'm a crabby person in the morning because I don't like getting, I'm not a morning person. So I wake up in the morning and I'm crabby and I just give it to God. I don't go, Dan, wake up, make me happy. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that kind of thing, I think it speaks to what you're saying is just to recognize that it's reasonable and normal to feel some insecurity until it's full on committed. Yeah. And even then there might be residual insecurity that still happens. It doesn't mean you're heading for divorce or that you're a failed partner or that there's massive issues in your relationship that got to be fixed. The relationship's a journey. Yeah. The relationship's not a result. It takes time to grow and develop. I'm learning my wife as much in our mid-50s as we did in our mid-20s. If I thought it was over after we reached a good level of intimacy and connection seven years, well, guess what? We'd probably be divorced by now. Because if you're looking for that wholeness, that fulfillment, and think, oh, wow, once I feel this, then the relationship's over, and you quit being intentional, you quit working, you quit quit discovering each other, then it'll get plateaued. It'll reverse. All kinds of things can happen in a hurry. So Karen, in some summary statements, and yes, another new wrinkle at the same time, I want to comment on that, the attachment stuff we've been talking about. So the, the fact that anxious attachment can actually be valuable and it's normal and it might be very wise to have that anxious attachment, not be so securely attached so quickly that it doesn't even make common sense. Right, right. It's going to be false. And can even be dangerous to you, not necessarily in a violent way or anything, just dangerous to that depth of intimacy and the possibility of separation. And then even understanding that insecurity can be a positive thing and that we shouldn't be trying to find security through our partner, not only in the dating scene, but really even in the marriage scene. The third context I wanted to bring up within this kind of reframing and understanding of attachment is what happens when we take a break? What happens when you or your boyfriend, either way, it doesn't matter which gender uh, takes the break, but we feel we need to have a separation and we become very anxious. So there was an article in the Tribune this weekend I told you about where the woman wrote to the, uh, ask somebody, I don't remember her name, where the woman really wrote about the depth of the pain and trouble in her relationship and listed things, you know, this is in the Tribune, listed things that were really disturbing. How selfish he was, how mean he was, how callous he was, insensitive, cruel. I mean, really listed in seven paragraphs, painted a picture that was scary. And then the last two sentences was, 
He's asked to come back with me and wants to do couples counseling. I'm thinking about it. What do you think? <laughs> and I was just so alarmed. I like had to take my glasses off and pace around my <laughs> island for a minute. I'm like, are you kidding me? So what I sensed there was this level of anxiousness. She had bonded to this man mm -hmm. and she loved him. She did say that. And I love him. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. She loved him. But she expressed and disclosed cruelty and insensitivity and meanness and callousness and selfishness and narcissism. She released all these things and then was still questioning and considered going back with him. And thankfully, the, the Tribune writer responded in a very similar way that you would I had responded. Like, I really think you already answered your question by what you disclosed. Right. This man is not worthy of you and your time and your energy and commitment. But that's another piece of the anxious attachment that actually is quite valuable. <laughs> If, if you've been separated, if he was so mean or so uh, discourteous even that you had to take a break, the idea of going back without significant change and without significant time is quite frankly absurd. Yeah. But I see it all the time. And, and we know about the theories and women who get abused and stay with the husband or there's lots of contextual understanding of why that happens. That's pre probably pretty too deep to go into this episode. But I want to encourage your listeners, if they have had a relationship where the man was not appropriate and didn't treat you right, and this guy's conditions, he was actually giving her conditions in order to come back. Oh, my. Yeah. And she was considering it. Whoa. After he had not done what she'd asked him to do previously, now he was saying, hey, let's get together, but let's do counts, couples counseling first. And she's like, oh, wow. He's kind of she had to change her heart. No, he's just completely manipulating, staying in the one-up position and the power control. And so I just want to encourage your listeners that... If they can't get rid of that anxious attachment, and it's based on experiential, valid inappropriateness from that man, I'm not saying never talk to him again, but please adhere to your anxiousness and recognize that as a very positive thing. Right. Again, it's that that anxiety is reasonable and appropriate, and it's a warning signal from the healthy part of you saying, I'm anxious about this because it's person's been manipulative this person has been abusive emotionally if not worse and for us to dismiss that and again just label that oh that's my anxious attachment I think that's a really great example of what we're talking about of how anxious attachment or anxiety in this case can be a good thing and we have to recognize that and listen to that I mean my favorite breakup book I wish I'd written it but I didn't it's called it's called a breakup because it's broken hmm. And I have a chapter in my book where I talk about the tendency, which I did as well. I was really bad at making a clean break and the on again, off again. And it's exactly what you said. My takeaway from that chapter in the book is unless someone has done some extensive, and we're talking like two, three years of intensive Freudian psychoanalysis or went and got so clean and sober that they're running their own support groups now at AA, like unless we're seeing that kind of dramatic change, you parted for a good reason. Yes, and we're not saying nobody deserves a second chance either, but that second chance might not be with you. Ooh. So you can still love that man and pray for that man and encourage that man and maybe even have a friendship, though that's very difficult to do if you've had a deep intimacy. That friendship should probably be from afar, not from up <laughs> close. Uh, but the context, the experience, the relationship, it's probably not healthy or wise. And if you do, like you said, if you do come back and though I think this guy was posturing for his desire for couples yeah. counseling. If there hadn't been that, those years of abuse, I think it would be fine to say, okay, I'm willing to consider it, but let's walk through this with some people and, and talk through it. So when, when I work with couples who have been married or they're engaged and they have a separation, I say, I'm, I'm fine with that, but let's be intentional about it. What is that going to look like so that we're actually growing our responding in that? And, and many other couples, again, Karen, they they kind of wrestle through this anxious attachment by simply choosing to walk towards higher levels of commitment without ever dealing with the root issues. Just assuming, well, we know we got some issues and we're very anxiously attached, but let's just get engaged. That'll fix it. Sure. Or And, and I, I'm not trying to make fun of them. No, they, they're yeah. really feeling that will build. Or let's move in together. Or let's kind of act like we're married and not be married. You know, no, we just slowly ease into a very passive attachment that can really leave a wake of anxiousness, even if they end up getting married, even if they end up doing really well, it still builds that, that foundational element of 
backdoor relationship. Well, yeah. And you, when you said foundation, that was what was going through my head. They're establishing a foundation on external things. The engagement will fix us. The marriage will give us that intimacy that we're not cultivating in our courtship. The baby then will bond, right? So it's always something outside of the couple. And that, how, how could it, how could that not be anxiety provoking? That's only going to stoke the, the flame of their anxiety. Yeah. And let me give a very practical thing for your listeners. And this is partly based on some of your listeners that I've talked to trying to help heal mother wounds, father wounds, or just contextualize current relationship patterns. And they wanted some, some help in coaching. I would recommend no more than one date per week. If you've already had some struggles in your relationship and you've wrestled through trying to figure yourself out and maybe been choosing the wrong man repetitively, then why don't we just go one date at a time, one week at a time, and even set some boundaries up front for yourself, not necessarily to share this on your first date with someone, be come off a little bit weird, (laughs) but for yourself just to say, I'm not going to get into a texting relationship to build my intimacy. That's called a textationship. Thank you. We have a word for that now. I, I don't know the language. <laughs> I like it though. I'll try to use it in class, see if the kids are impressed with me. <laughs> but you can't build appropriate intimacy through texting. Right. And I would even try to encourage the young woman, since most of your listeners are in that audience, to set the boundary inadvertently or encourage the guy to set the boundary and say stuff like, hey, why don't we consider this? So you're not coming off too strong, too assertive up front and making a man who's a little bit passive feel even weaker. And But why don't we consider something like this? Let's, if, if they have a great date and he wants to follow up and he pursues her appropriately, you know, and sets times longer than 20 minutes before the, <laughs> yes. the, the time he's wanting to beat, then let's build and let's, let's try not to just do this passive, I call it like grazing, this passive mm-hmm. grazing in relationship, texting people, I got to work. Okay. I'm glad you did. But that's not building intimacy. That's building a really codependent style of I'm checking in with you every hour and a half or three hours about what? Right. And again, I'm not trying to criticize that if you're married and it's a form of just kind of you're really busy and you're just trying to stay in touch with each other's lives. I'm talking about the building steps of a dating relationship. Right. Okay. Grazing is not necessarily bad. It's I think it's a weakness in building up a relationship. And when you're in a college campus, kids are going to do that naturally because they're here together. It's totally different. So I'm talking about just the context of a dating relationship. Maybe you find each other online. You're building that relationship. Someone needs to set some type of pattern that paces, that builds intimacy appropriately. You know, saying, hey, let's watch a movie in my basement on the second date. You are asking for bonds to be backwards. Right. So I'm not saying be a prude (laughs) and not be available emotionally, physically, or mentally, but Put some context into that pacing, in that structure, if you want to build a secure attachment based on your own security and then the interdependence that can be built. And I think that's just another byproduct of technology that the building of the relationship is quite different than even 10, 15 years ago, now with texting becoming the primary form of communication. And sometimes women do. They feel like I'm stuck in this textationship. And one of the things I recommend is to, like you said, establish boundaries. If he's just wanting to blow up your phone all the time, just be like, so great to hear from you. You know, text back, so great to hear from you. So glad to know your week's going great. Mine is crazy. Uh, I know- have a conversation at seven tonight, right? Exactly. Right, yeah, Yeah, Yeah. you set a boundary like that. You know, I'm free to talk tonight or I know you mentioned we could get together this weekend. I can't wait to share what's been going on with me this weekend. Again, and the subtext is when we are in person, actually forming a real bond. And all positive framing. And then, right, yeah. super positive framing. Because then, then I think people get worried that they're going to come off as edgy or cold. And we can present ourselves as fully warm and engaging and accessible with boundaries. And if you want the man to pursue, ladies, positively frame the relationship. And to pull it back to anxious attachment, women, and this is a global statement, but it's backed by research and those of... My listeners who've listened to Dr. Welch's episodes, they will understand that this is coming from the science. Women will feel less anxious when he is pursuing. Amen to that. Science-based, God ordained it that way. And I encourage women to let the man be the man, let him pursue and enjoy that. Don't take that fun away from him because he's wired up to desire that and don't Take away that fun from yourself. Don't take away the joy of being pursued because it is a, it's a beautiful feeling to be pursued. Absolutely. Have you heard? 
You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White Till It's Right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. All right, Elliot, pray over this group and uh, for any of them who are still feeling like, okay, Elliot, that's great, but I am anxiously attached. Let's give them a word of healing and hope. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Lord, we thank you for this time to discuss attachment. It's a gift of relationships and um, romantic love, Lord, that you built and you created and ordained in Genesis. And Lord, that's based on some principles of uh, leaving our family. doesn't mean leaving them Uh, In proximity, Lord, it means leaving them emotionally, mentally, and that our security and our strength and our attachments are built on a relationship with you. And then we are free, Lord, to be independent and individual and uh, be attached to others. So I pray for all the listeners who've been hurt in relationships, maybe hurt in their primary relationship with their parents, been hurt in previous relationships in the romantic realm. Uh, Lord, help them heal and recover feel peace, recognize some of the anxiety is appropriate, some of that is a, uh, a response to the building of intimacy that needs to take time and be paced. Lord, to recognize that our security needs to come first and foremost through our relationship with you and our understanding of ourself. And then, Lord, we are able to build appropriate intimacy and security in an interdependent, interdependent fashion, Lord, with another. So pray, Lord, that these words that we share today will be of benefit and encouragement, inspiration to others. That, Lord, even if we have made mistakes, we need to forgive ourselves, not self-condemn, understand and reframe our experiences as positive growth and learning, and that you would help us build better foundations and smarter foundations and to truly work on building intimacy that progresses in the right fashion and can culminate in a permanent or stable, secure, and maybe even a lifelong romantic relationship. So, Father, we pray for your blessing. We thank you for this time to share together. May your will be done. Amen. Amen. The love and life hack for this week is, is it time to reframe your anxious attachment? Thank you, as always, for sharing a portion of your day with us. It means so much. If you'd like to work with Elliot or me or have a speak at your next event, head over to loveandlifemedia.com where you can find more information on all of the above. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Averill, And until next time... Make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.